The yeah, value difference, think about it. If you're right. talking about a 200 a month apartment that you can get 5,000, hundreds of thousands of value difference exactly. for That's one apartment. One unit. 294 a month is what, they, is what they're paying, right? They could be getting 4,500. So that's 50,000 of additional income. Divided out of five by. Cat. So, so that million means dollars. $1 million of value is created by taking that tenant out. We're in Houston right now walking our new 56 unit crazy property here. It starts down there. We got a lot of billion dollars. Welcome back to the Talk Shop Podcast. This week, it's a little bit different. We've got a lot going on. We're supposed to close on a 138 unit project in Houston, Texas. God willing. Right, God Chris? willing. A lot of crazy stuff going on. Last minute wrenches thrown into that deal. We have Chris Rayback as the co-host. He's the CIO of Avgi and has become a good friend of mine over the last couple of months. Kid keeps me up at night analyzing deals with him. And uh, and I thought it would be fitting to have him on because our two special guests today have some history with Chris. Haley Hasho and Justin Conway, both of them come from a somewhat institutional brokerage background and they started Exodus Capital. These two are on fire. I love them to death. Justin's getting married and a lot of exciting stuff we'll talk about on the podcast. So guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? What's up, guys? I am Haley Hasho. I used to work at Marcus and Millichap, but before that I started at an off-market Persian shop. Capital Property Partners, which was a sister to VCP. And then I met this guy a year ago at a random networking event. We hit it off and then we did something crazy and we co-founded a brokerage. Very nice. So my name is Justin Conway. I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, I worked at Goldman Sachs and Deloitte. I did a lot of corporate stuff before doing something crazy, doing all commission, loved real estate and found a boutique shop, Besson Partners where uh, my first year in the business, I was working a lot with Chris, underwriting as many deals, uh, trying to make as many meetings as possible. Didn't make any money my first year in the business. <laughs> Almost quit like 10 times, but um, got a great training you know, ground at Besson. And uh, my next two years sold about $50 million worth of real estate and uh, met Haley and I'm an entrepreneur and wanted to launch uh, Exodus Capital in and, January. And you guys focus on the boroughs in Manhattan, right? Yeah, Haley mainly in Manhattan. I do a lot in Brooklyn, so. Awesome. Yeah. And Haley, how is it being a woman in the super male dominant <laughs> oh, real estate oh, space? What a way to open. <laughs> I saw you hosting that woman only mm-hmm. event yeah. yesterday. What a shame we couldn't go. Yeah, right? yeah. No you could have went. It's 2022. Yeah, you could go. You know, I, I heard Wendy Silverstein say two years ago, I saw her speak at a lecture and she was like, I am gender blind. And I do appreciate that ideology. I think it's great to be in a female owned space and if you can and you can surround yourself with women wonderful but i do work with 95 percent men and uh, i love men despite uh the hurdles that it comes with but um i think there's definitely a niche here and if you could tap into it you can make it lucrative do you feel the sexism between you and these guys i'm on record (laughs) (laughs) of course i mean listen there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind scenes but um listen you gotta roll with the punches and if you get fixated on the problems or the things that come up, then you're you're just you're gonna get stuck. Mm-hmm. So you gotta move forward. Yeah. I tell everyone, like women in the New York City real estate business, 
they're animals, you know. Well, not co- in commercial, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very rare. In I residential, was, right. there's a lot of. Anyone really know. working in commercial brokerage in New York City is an animal. Yeah, but yeah. a it woman, a, a successful woman right. in that field that's super male dominated, like they're outcasts. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's 99% male. I was the only woman at Marcus and Miller Traffic brokered and on my team. So you definitely stand out, but it's funny, like the guys that I used to work with, they didn't talk to me for the first several months and it took a while to really prove myself before, uh, you know, they take you seriously. Wasn't there like a behemoth deal you took down and the picture was like five guys and Haley, like in the backdrop? That's every trade in post. What are you talking about? (laughs) What was that deal? It it? was, uh, it was the Caro portfolio. He's a famous author. He wrote The Power Broker, famous historian. And I started cold calling him my first year in the business. And I used to send him rainbow colored letters. So I, uh, I discovered there were 16 partners and I cold called my way into the family. And ironically, the estate attorney worked upstairs. Yeah, and I was like, this is from God. And <laughs> I put it on my vision board. All the senior partners were like, you're nuts, you're some hippie. And sure enough, we sold the whole thing. 85.4 million bucks. Big deal. Yeah. Big but, deal. Uh, we got new ones on the vision board now. Yeah, we got big ones. I'm a big coming. vision board person. Justin's yeah. smiling like that's my partner. Yeah, yeah she's a big deal. He's very supportive it. of women, which yeah. I love. It's I mean, tough that's... seeing, you know, cold calling in this business, some of the stuff people say, I hear it. <laughs> going into bo- going into boiler rooms, it's it's tough being being a woman in commercial I used to work in East Harlem and my mom would have a stroke all the time. <laughs> wow. So tell, I don't tell, tell us more anymore. about the vision board. How, what do you guys, uh, I guess, you know, you, like, how, like other systems that you guys use? Yeah, it's, you know? I guess, consistency is the name of the game. So making your calls my first year, you know, we would be in there at, what, 5, 6 a.m. till late at night, making those calls, 100 calls a day minimum, you know, meetings, touring buildings, and then it all just starts to compound. Mm-hmm. If you have systems in place and, um, you know, you're passionate about, commercial real estate in New York, um, everything just grows. And like I said, my first year in the business, I didn't sell one building. And then my second year and third year, everything just started to yeah. you know compound on itself. And now it's just uh, going after the right sellers and finding the right deals. I also think your process becomes your identity with time. Mm-hmm. So if you, do, if you do things and you create habits, it's not just a habit, it's literally your life. And so that's what the business is. It doesn't turn off. You know, if you're not having yeah. dreams and you're not in the, the real estate business. We need to touch on like the processes you guys have though, because I think it's a little out of context. Like you guys aren't normal brokers, right? You have a call center, you have scripts you built out, like it's outsourced, it comes back to New York. You have like this whole thing going on because there's other brokers that come on here, you know, and they built it the traditional way. Mm-hmm. But you guys are unique, so touch on that. It's like a 10-man ten ten call center. Where's the women, Haley? Well, it's uh, some of our processes are uh, we keep a little to the chest, but it's a lot of mass outreach, a lot of emails. We're on the phones all day long, um, and it's, it's building systems to target the right type of sellers and scaling it. And having the people and, and the team behind you to scale it. Handwritten so. letter systems. There's a lot that you could do. Um, hiring cold callers, having call centers. But um, I think it all depends on the data. And, you know, I sold some of my crypto and stocks to fund this business. And we spent a lot of money. 
on data, which was very important for us because if you're wasting your time calling the wrong numbers, then you might as well just hang up your shoes. Yeah. yeah. And targeting the right sellers. I mean, most of my deals are longtime owners. They've owned them for a very long time. There's vacancy, there's value add, and they go quick. If you target the right select um, you know, owners, you're going to have more success than just getting a random list of uh, properties in Brooklyn, per se. Yeah. So. How was it working with Chris Rayback all those years? <laughs> Chris and I would be at the office late. He's uh, underwriting junkie. He knows yeah. all the numbers. Um, I love sourcing the deals. That's what, where I love yeah. the part of the business is finding off-market deals and finding sellers. And I think Chris loves like the nitty-gritty underwriting, getting down to like the, the nth degree of the underwriting. And we learned a lot from each other from... Right sourcing deals off market to him you know underwriting them and me learning how he you know underwrites from an investment perspective yeah. but justin is pivoting his brand because he's been known as the off-market discount broker and uh we are pitching deals actively and we're going to be getting hired on inventory and controlling the process and i came from a much more songs bells whistles background and that's why we're a good yeah. yeah, the right way to sell a property is yeah. to hire a broker, yeah. put it on the market, have a hundred thousand people view the property in a week. Are you selling over for markets? Yeah, and, <laughs> and do that. But some owners don't want to hire brokers, and yeah. they want to just make a deal. And I love making and deals. Justin, so. you guys have that flexibility too. You know, it's yeah. like you guys have the the blend of you know, if a seller wants to handle a quiet quiet sale and just wants to get a deal done. It's kind of Justin's expertise, and then when it comes to more of like the, the overall marketing and ex- exclusive yeah. side of it, that's kind of where you come from with your background. We, we right? had a thirty-eight million dollar pitch our third week in the office, seven buildings in Brooklyn. We actually didn't go to bed, and we pulled an all-nighter. But it was interesting because Justin, you know, we learn from each other, which is great. And I'm so used to pitching business and know how to run people from A through Z and more. And he could tie up deals on his sleep. Mm-hmm. So it's been a very dynamic partnership. What do you think make makes those superstar brokers in the city landscape, like in the commercial space? It's, I guess, having the instinct to find a real deal and where to focus your time. Because the more time you do it, you see patterns in sellers and you really get to understand their psychology. And the top brokers know where to focus their time and the right sellers to go after. We work on all commission. So yeah. if you're not making deals happen... There's only so much time you could do this business before, you know, you're I, out. I think that was the first answer I've gotten like that yet um, yeah. from a broker. Yeah. N- knowing what's a real deal. Yeah. That was I a good think, answer. I think it's... also yeah, I, when I interviewed with Joe Kosim, I told him I could psychologically extract information like a surgeon. And I think extracting information from owners makes you an outlier of a broker. Doing all the diligence up front. But Knowing also, all the, all why the... are they selling? Like, mm-hmm. brokers work on their agendas. You need to work on the seller's agenda and get in the seller's psych- psyche. Because mm-hmm. that's what's going to create you to actually do the deal. And I think a lot of brokers are not gut-based and they're not intuitive. And we always say that we're very intuitive and people lack emotional intelligence in this business. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, I think, the biggest things that you're able to move people from A to B. Interesting. Yeah. Why do most people sell all the deals right now? <laughs> well, it's, inter- it's funny, too, because... Death, divorce, and debt, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So you Whatever see those. Are, yeah. You should probably. It's funny move too quickly. because when we started, wow. we started working with you guys, and we were telling you about some of the deals that we get under contract. You know, we we get easily you know hundred deal hundred deals a day that we have to sift through and Way you know more. and underwrite. Yeah, probably more. Way but, more than that. Now. And because of that, we only have so much time that we can spend you know on each deal and knowing what's a good deal and what's what's not a good yeah. deal. And so I remember when we first talked to you, you were talking about the deals you had under contract. You're like, how are we getting deals under contract at these prices? It's insane. So, you know, tell us a little more, I guess, about, I guess, Justin, for you, the way that you kind of speak to, to sellers. How do you get them down in price to make it more of a re- realistic, you know, transaction where you'll, you'll get a buyer that's willing to close? Well, it's all about the motivation, right? So it's the first question I normally ask is, why do you want to sell? So if someone wants to retire and they mismanage the property, you know, eventually it's probably going to trade. Whereas if they just bought it, you know, they're... You know, they, they're trying to get a price and they tell you something unrealistic. I don't really spend my time there. So I'm constantly filtering through so many different owners, meeting so many different sellers that you just boil it down to why are they selling? Mm-hmm. And if they have that motivation, I'm going to be all over them, you know, every day, calling them, emailing them, providing them valuable information. Because one day, whether it's in a day, six months or 20 years, they're, so, they're but what's sell. the process of like, like a seller has that motivation, right? Let's say they are looking to retire next year and they want to sell, but they're still, let's say that, you know, offers are coming in at $3 million and, you know, they need to sell at, or they're, they're of the mindset that their buildings were three and a half, maybe even $4 million. How do you get them, you know, yeah, to, showing, to realize? Showing them the comps, showing them the underwriting, how, it's, how buyers are looking at the deal, um, and giving them like accurate information for them to make a decision. Um, I think detaching is something I use all the time. It's like dating, like you could chase somebody, you can chase somebody and you actually see if they're real when you pull away. So my biggest philosophy is I detach. Really? And sometimes I'll go dark because then you really test somebody's motivation, right? And you see if they're real or maybe you should sell in three years, like reverse mm-hmm. psychology, the whole conversation. Or put it on the market if it's an off-market deal and you're 300,000 away, like you're saying 500,000, put it on the market, try and find someone that's like a unicorn buyer, yeah, not familiar with the underwriting. You guys come in with buyers, so it's a little different. You're like, hey, I have a buyer, this is their price, let's do the deal. Yeah. So it's not like you're testing out like the markets in Millichap way, right? So when you detach, it's like, hey, I, I came to you with someone real. That might not be here anymore. So I get that psychology. Yeah, yeah, and that's part of it. Again, it's not the only way we approach yeah, prospecting yeah. at all. It's not all off market, right? But I think there's there's a hybrid model for sure. So you guys started Exodus. We did. Before that, you were at Marcus and Millichap. Before that, you were at Besson. Yep. What did you take away from those two firms that you looped into Exodus? And what are you doing differently? Hmm. It's a very good question. I would say it's the combination of, well, at best, and I learned a lot. I did a lot of deals. Um, I think the best learning you could do is doing transactions and actually working through through deals. Um, but we're building a brand. We're, you know, like she said, we're getting hired on potentially a thirty-eight million dollar portfolio. We're going to be bringing to market, and we want to get exclusives and represent owners and do it the right way um, to run a competitive bidding process and get them, you know, the highest pricing. Yeah. So the things we're doing differently, I would say, our technology is. Superior, our data is amazing, and we're really targeting select owners that we believe are going to be, you know, good prospects to represent. I think I I worked on one of the top investment sales teams um, in the city 
actually under Peter Vondery and Kosum. So I had such a large exposure from the top private families to institutional capital. So I think whereas Justin did a did it more deals in a way with the same groups, I had a lot more exposure in terms of buyers. So I toured a ton of buildings. I was out there. I've networked for years. So I've built sort of more of a brand associated with my own company, my old company. So I was able to bring a lot of that into Exodus from a relationship and sort of existing client base. But something that we're doing different is I I think there's a gap in the market for brokers in like three to five years who can actually make money. And we wanna build some type of a structure for incentive to bring on like lean, mean hustlers in the business. I mean, we always talk about Davion Holdings and they're some of the sharpest guys. Oh. Have really, Davion, Sean Lefkowitz, David Lloyd, they used to work mm-hmm. at Marcus. And so they've really built a brand and there's only two of them, but they've taken a large amount of market share. They've done what? Like close to half a billion dollars? Yeah, they've done, the they've done a years, lot. Right? I don't know them. So, yeah. yeah. They're pretty active in Brooklyn. Incredibly active. Yeah, so we, we want to build a team and an environment where people can really make money. So, so you want to stay lean. You want like a small shop, really doing volume, keeping overhead low type of thing. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. want to train anybody right now. We want to bring on people that are seasoned in that three to five year space. and um, Like Ben. Ben Normato. Ben! Ben, yeah. Are you guys going to get Ben? When are we going to get Ben? Yeah, that's we're, the question. Yeah. I'd love to have Ben. We, would, we talk about it a lot. I love that guy. He's a hustler. He really that's the exact type of yeah. uh, broker we're looking for. Can you tag Ben in this? Yeah. 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 Young, hungry, on the phones all day long, and just love doing deals. He's a psycho, and we love psychos. Yeah, we yeah. Love Like, psychos. Justin and I are psychotic. Yeah. 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 People used to think I was nuts at Marcus, and I was like, oh, you can't be Vanilla Cupcake. So yeah, we yeah. are not a vanilla cupcake brokerage. No, that's going to be our slogan if it was allowed. <laughs> Love that. Well, an NFT cupcake country. Yeah. <laughs> no vanilla deals, no vanilla women. That's <laughs> Amen to that. I love, I love Ben. That kid shows us buildings once in a while. He brings deals. I mean, I can't believe it. He like brings real deals regularly. I just don't know the shop he's at. I think they're all nice people. He highly respects them, obviously. Otherwise, he would have left already. Of course, but. I don't know the kid just he brings real deals he's got Amazing. a good touch on the market and he's he's personal like a lot of brokers like don't have humor like they don't have like that swagger and yeah he's got it mm-hmm. yeah like, you could if you could sell you can sell like you can't train somebody to sell no at that's least right. i believe that yeah no that's a good that's so. right so why did you guys leave marcus and besson let's get into the real details what people want to know you're a habitual line pusher <laughs> <laughs> Being an entrepreneur and want to grow a brand. That's a bullshit I, I answer, Justin. No, that's, that's a bullshit answer. No, because you want to grow, you want to build something that you're growing every day. You want day a baby. Yeah, you want to grow something on your own. You don't want to yeah. build someone else's dream. So Everyone I talk to from these institutional shops says the same thing. Yeah. I'm sick of making 15 to 25% on my deals that I labored like slaved on for five years. And that seems like that's an answer over and over again. But someone doesn't want to share that information. <laughs> Justin had a very successful career financially yeah. at Besson. Truly, yeah. I think he made um, good good money more money there. than a lot of people over there. Yeah, do you think Besson had anything to do with that? Of course, yeah. They yeah. trained me. The people there were great, and it's just I wanted to grow my own brand, like I said, and grow my own company. So there's a point in time. I'm 26 years old. I don't have kids. Yeah. What else am I going to do? Right. 
Because because once that happens, once you start getting the, the the whole family set up and you start saving yeah, for college, game over. Yeah. 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 Yes. you don't take those <laughs> risks as much yeah. as you would when you're young. Exactly. That's what happened with me with me and Alon. Is I you know I was when I was at Besson and you know Justin was on the brokerage side and I was on more of the our our targeted acquisitions uh, side of the business for Michael and you know a couple and outside capital and so. Um, um, when, when I was working there, I was doing a lot of underwriting and you know underwriting new deals. But you know, I wanted to kind of take that you know I wanted to take that risk and join you know a, a company that I see a lot of growth in, in you know 10, 15 years and get in early. And you know, we had a conversation, and it was, at the time I was actually trying to pitch him. I had left Besson and I went to a mortgage brokerage shop, yeah. and uh, I was trying to pitch him for his mortgage business. And when we were having our conversation, it was literally like. You know, we were speaking more about more questions about investments in the existing portfolio versus just like a typical, hey, what rate can I get you on your loan? You know, and right. when he when he heard that, it was like, you know, you think like someone on the buy side. It seems like that's what you want to do. I was like, I wouldn't be opposed to it. And yeah. then sure enough, a couple months later, scooped him up. Yep, scooped me up. So it's a great acquisition. But that's the thing is, it's you know, being on a being in a small company and growing something, being a being a part of that is definitely. Uh, you know, it's an exciting thing. You can only do it when you're young because once you have a lot more overhead, then, you know, it's a lot tougher to, to, to pull that risk off. So Sometimes you just know with people, right? Oh, I knew for sure. I think when we met, we knew. And I think you know when, like, I'm a religious person, like, you know when God places an opportunity in front of your life and it's special and it's unmatched and you need to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are scared. But what is the worst that's going to happen? Yeah, you need to be intuitive. You need, like you said, intuitive. we yeah. named our whole um, our pitch actually is called the intuitive approach. Oh, I love that, yeah. and um, it's like a four or five step process, and it's I would say the main principles of our, our why they should hire us. Yeah, why they should hire yeah. us, and a lot of that is we are intuitive people. And yeah, I think that's very important. And like you said about Wendy, she said she's like gender gen- blind. Gender blind. Yes, I'm I'm age blind. You know, mm. when he told me he was 23, I'm like, I don't care. It's he, funny because a lot of the people yeah. we tour buildings with are in their 20s, 30s. They're buying buildings and the owners will be like, who is this guy? Who is this young guy showing up? I'm like, oh, he owns about 40, 45 buildings. Here's yeah. his real estate. And he's one of the most active syndicators in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And they just can't believe it. And yeah. that's where we have a competitive advantage. A lot of the guys that are buying buildings are in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. So that's it's, a pivot, though, because in COVID, you had only the private families who were really bidding on assets. And that's because I think a lot of the young syndicators were scared and rents were so depressed. But now there's been such a pivot, and it's all the young syndicators. So when we left our firms, we were like, who's actually in the market? And it's like the guys who are following us on Instagram. Like, that's who's doing deals. Yeah, wow. So What a different world from like the Long Island, St. Louis, Houston space that we're in. Like they're they're dealing with like super sophisticated young syndicators that are social me- all over social media and it's cool. They, it's they awesome. are. Yeah. You follow them, you get a meeting with them, and it's all through Instagram. It's crazy. A lot of it. I mean, granted, you still have like the major like guys that are buying and that are private families, but you're definitely seeing these guys. It's not their own money that they could just be at least like 11 percent above market. Yeah, that's why they get so aggressive. It's not their money. Yeah, a lot of times so. You know, they get fees, so do as many deals as possible. Why not? Yeah, I think now's the time to, like, relax on that. And whoever is driving hard on 
just not being conservative right now, it might be in a very bad place in a couple of years. We'll see. Yeah. It survives. And that's what the old timers say about them. They like laugh and they're like, how yeah. are they ever going to like deliver this exit plan and sell? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't care. Like, buy the building. <laughs> see, when COVID You're hit. You're getting the commission. You're not going to get any money into that. Dude. Exactly. When COVID yeah. hit, it was like uncertain times, but rates yeah. were super low. Yeah, we, super We depressed. cherry pick deals. So yeah. it's like, it's okay. You know, but then as building supplies are still crawling up. Sure. And rates are now high like the next downfall like whatever is coming is going to be long term yeah, it's not going to be like that. the covid yeah. rise and fall right. yeah no, no, no. you know this fall is going to be bad so now we're pulling back a little bit we're acquiring at the same like we're, we're underwriting a little bit differently like we buy conservative deals mm-hmm. everything underwrites as a rental if it won't underwrite as a rental we don't want to touch it uh, right. you know with an irr strategy so I think we're pulling back a little bit and we're being more conservative right now, right? We- yeah, 100%. And you touched, you made a good point because at the end of the day, I think the reason why these values are going up so much or, you know, these these guys are, are bidding, you know, 10, 11% above market is because of rates were at record lows where, you know, the value of, of an asset is directly correlated with the cost of your capital, right? So if you're if you're able to borrow money at three and three, three and a half percent, you know, you can afford to now pay, you know, X amount of dollars, you'll still hit the same cash on cash, you'll still hit the same IRR metrics, right? And for those people that focus on those deals. The problem is, is as that cost of capital goes up, so now instead of buying at three and a half percent, you're at, or borrowing at three and a half, you're now borrowing at 5%. Now your, your debt service, you know, is a lot higher, yeah. which then causes that cash flow to, you know, constrain. And you're now you're now making less cash. So the only way to adjust for that is by buying at a lower price. Your, so that way you still hit those. Are your buyers matches. like following that approach or are they doubling down? I think the rental market was like the biggest reason why people got insanely bullish over the past quarter. Yeah. And that's because rents are up eleven point three percent nationally. And then if you look in Manhattan, they're up twenty three percent. Queens is actually like twenty one percent. Northern Manhattan is nine percent, and Brooklyn's eighteen. So if you look at those stats, like we're living in an artificially inflated rental market, exactly. and that's really what happened is like people in COVID were underwriting like fifteen to twenty percent vacancy on like mixed use retail front product, and now we're actually at a rate of one point two to one point seven five percent across all the wow. boroughs. So that's where the pencils really shifted. But now I think we're going to be so compressed on rates and values are going to drop. And the rental pricing probably has to drop. It's like a bubble that needs to pop. So when you have rental pricing going down, rates going up, pricing, in my opinion, has to fall. Right. right? Like NOI is going to be directly correlated with the rents dropping. And then if your cost of capital goes up, then there goes that that IRR metric trying to sell to, you know, make that return for your investors. Not going to happen. Yeah. So... So that's what, what you see happening. Yeah, and people yeah. are also reevaluating their cycles. So people used to be on five, seven, ten year cycles, and now a lot of people know how to make decisions based out of COVID. So I think people are now one year or three year because political legislation has just really, you know, invaded that process thinking. And that's yeah. one of the main drivers people are selling, like yeah. the older term owners, long time owners, the regulations in New York, so difficult to be a landlord. Um, you know, just, yeah, yeah, it's just, they don't want to yeah. deal with it anymore. Let's, let's touch a little bit on the, on that rent regulations, you know, and give us like a 30 second spiel as to like kind of what they are for the listeners. You know, most people don't know this, by the way, that are listening to this podcast. Yes. Right. So, They're really? not in touch with the New York city rental laws in that world. 
Oh, well, so you're just, lucky. Just like a third, <laughs> we'll be here for about three more hours now. <laughs> um, well, in 2019, they passed the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act. The worst law ever in history. Like <laughs> 20 to 30 laws overnight that reduced the value of rent-stabilized buildings anywhere between 20 to 30% overnight. Maybe 40. Maybe yeah. more. Wow. And yeah. those owners, uh, you know, it, it's very unfortunate. You buy a building in 2018, you know, one year later, it decreases 30% due to laws that were changed. Nothing right. you could do. And now they're proposing uh, restrictions on the free market rents. There's good cause eviction, which is on the loom. And which other is universal rent control. Universal rent control. Which um, means you cannot evict your free market apartments. Or there's going to be caps on the amount you could increase rents on yes. free market apartments. Just that clarify. Makes, that like, basically makes everything rent stabilized. Clarify what rent stabilized is in free market. Like break it down. Like yeah, for people market, that don't understand free it. Free market, you can charge basically whatever rent you want, and rent stabilized. There's caps on the amount you could increase rents, and the rents are much lower. Yeah, they vary um, between one to two percent. The rent guidelines board determines that. And um, you have no more upside. So all your equity is trapped in these buildings and you cannot increase your rents. And just to clarify for the listeners that still have no idea what's going on, rent stabilized buildings in Manhattan or boroughs or wherever could be $900 a month per unit. Could be $200 a month. And it's not going up. It's going up by one to two percent, and they can't destabilize. They can't get rid of that anymore. Even if and they it's tough to it's tough to evict these tenants right. as well. Right. So if they stop paying, you know, it's tough to get them out. Courts are backed up during COVID. You had the ERAP protection program that passed. So like even free market units, you can't evict people if they applied for funding. So you have all these pro tenant groups. We're dealing with that too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more universal. Yeah, uh, you know, on a different the country, level with though, the government funding, because I think it's the same thing in. Uh, was it St. Louis? Uh, didn't they say something about how, like, with now that there's a, if if, if tenants took the government, uh, took the government government relief money, that it was now like instead of it being like a two month eviction, now like you weren't allowed to evict them or something like no, that. No, that's everywhere, the whole country, yeah, all, all our Long Island properties. Yeah, we have tenants that haven't paid in two years. We got six months of the money from ERAP, and they're like, nope, you're locked in for a year now. But it's not true. You know, you just have to reopen the eviction yeah. mm-hmm. it's going still it's going to take you a year yeah just because of how it backed up the courts and right? because of those 2019 laws that they just touched on yeah. it didn't just impact rent stabilized and free market it impacted everything because yeah. then in new york mm-hmm. now instead of going to court by yourself you need to have legal representation sure so mom and pop landlords can't go to court on their own anymore so now there's you have to give a one two or three month notice you guys know this yeah. of course yeah. so now if the tenant's been there for two years two month notice <laughs> three years or more three month notice Suffolk County used to have two-month evictions. Suffolk County, Long Island. We know that. Yeah. Now it's <laughs> now if a tenant's been there for over three years, it's a minimum. You would think it's a five-month eviction, mm-hmm. but now you have a lawyer that pencils it in. You could do an adjournment for a month. You have to give the three-month notice. You still wait two months, and the sheriffs are backed up three. We're at eight months minimum. From a two-month eviction after 2019, now we're at eight. Yeah. Wow. That impacted Suffolk. Yeah. Suffolk was great. That was all of New York State, right? All New York State, yeah. yeah. And if you're a mom and pop landlord, you can't deal with that. It's not, it's, you know, impacting cash flow. And a lot of times they sell. And they go to other states. It doesn't make sense. You go to, you know, different areas where you can evict the tenant in a week. Literally get them out and cash flow, charge whatever rent you want. And there's just Just, the sellers we're dealing with. Well, we're working on a deal right now where there's a rent state, there's a rent control tenant who's paying $294 a month. And wow. We, yeah, she's got a And also for the audience, that same unit, that same, that same unit, if it was free market would be how much, Haley? Probably 
4500 4, So wow. 4500 a month is what they could get if it was free market. And if it's yeah. and now that it's rent controlled, it's they're paying two hundred ninety four dollars a month. Yeah. You said so. We are hopefully signing a contract soon on this deal, but we have the seller has tiptoed around this rent control tenant for literally six months in terms of how to approach him, what to do with him, bringing in an attorney. It's such a fragile experience mm-hmm. because the tenants run the show. That's yeah. why these landlords that like, get arrested left and right they in Manhattan, and, that's and then they, the tenant's going to get a payday of two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. So. Yeah, so you pay uh, you know, two hundred, three hundred a month in rent and then one day you get a two hundred thousand dollar check. Yeah, you remember doesn't the seem stories. Like a bad, uh, a bad gig, like a bad right? Gig. Yeah. Damn, our parents did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you remember those stories where it's like the whatever, the Kushners buy a building and then all of a sudden the construction never stops. Morning tonight construction <laughs> over their units, all the jackhammer. You get a vacant yeah. building. Yeah. yeah. You hire a hitman. Yeah, it's true though. These people get crazy and they get crazy. No, they get crazy. Yeah, so the stories are. Yeah. I mean, the stories are. The value difference. Think about it. You right. know, if you're right. talking about a 200 a month apartment that you could get 5,000, right. it's. It is so, talking think about, about it this way: if, if hundreds of thousands of value difference exactly, for one apartment, one unit. One unit. Right. Yeah. You, you know, know you have and, the phone on you? Yeah. Pull up the calculator. Let's let's do that. So two ninety four <laughs> a month is what they is what they're paying, right? Yeah. And they, they could be getting forty five hundred. So do forty five hundred minus two ninety four. Yeah. Times twelve. At a five cap. Take the divide that's that by fifty thousand. So that's fifty thousand of additional income. Divide at a five by, cap. A yeah. five cap's being like really conservative. In New so, York. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that means $1 million of values created by taking that tenant no, out. No, we know because we priced the building 50 times. Yeah, right. and then you're the owner. You're the owner sitting there and you're going, okay, well, this tenant, I got to get him out. It's a million dollars difference in value. Right. So people, they get and crazy. And people become professional tenants. Yeah. That's a problem. Professional because tenants. all this literature and like people our age who inherited rent-stabilized tenants can... It is so skewed that you don't know until you experience it. Like you guys are in it all day. You're experiencing it. This is so normal. This is so the tenant buyouts are crazy. You know we've got we've got in such a we've got put in such bad places with tenants before, me and my family, that my dad got a paper warrant for his arrest. I actually not supposed to talk about it. Sorry, Tom Tona, uh, my lawyer. Uh oh. (laughs) But we've got we've got like a warrant out for my dad's arrest at one point because the tenant made up this whole story. Oh I'm sure. About being like harassed and abused and all these things like none of this ever happened you know like we're we're landlords we have a management company we never i went to the property once before the tent was even there mm-hmm. so put it in that perspective and this tenant just made up this whole story yeah, they're very creative yeah, yeah. and the sure. cops believed yeah. her wow and it's like where's the proof there's no there's no phone calls there's no ca- there, she has cameras everywhere just show just ask for the footage yeah just get the proof you know and nobody's ever been there it's like all bullshit and she got away with it. And we couldn't evict her, and she's two years in there, not paying a penny in rent. Wow. See where she got another 10 years. Yeah. Probably still there. <laughs> yeah. She did it to the last landlord, and the landlord before that, we found out when we went to litigation with her. And uh, yeah, she, the last landlord, believe it or not, the guy slept with her. And she oh got him God. arrested for two years. Jesus. Wow. wow. This is a me too tenant. Yeah. <laughs> She, she's a, a super tenant. professional tenant, and you just there's don't a lot them. of them. Yeah, They're, they know how to game the system. In, in the Texas, part is, this wouldn't fly. No, it wouldn't fly in Texas, it's like doesn't matter. People leave for fun in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> in Texas, three days the sheriff's knocking on your door. Guy, listen, yeah, I'll give you two weeks as a favor. Yeah, you know, 
Here, forget he dropped dead. Yeah. yeah. Here it's yeah. years potential. Here it, prison yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight o'clock of the years to get a ten and out. <laughs> it's a real shame though for all those mom and pop owners that really only have you know those three or four buildings you know in their name that have maybe you know call it three units each right and those those are the, those are the landlords that are getting hit hard by these by these uh, by these laws because it's like now they have to come out of pocket to pay their mortgage you know and they don't they may not have that money right? and you got exodus capital swooping in there like yeah, listen yeah. i've got this fund this fund this fund willing to buy you out at a three cap can we yeah. hire you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that, it's that israeli mindset when it comes yeah. to the uh, and they're the not israelis really. They get aggressive. Yeah. Seriously. I think We're sending you to Hebrew school, both of you. <laughs> I'm fluent. No, I'm <laughs> but that's where their opportunities lie. No, it is. Yeah, 100%. They can't refi right now. Right. That's the problem. They can't refi and then they, they have to sell. We're dealing right. with the building in uh, Manhattan. The guy's trying to refi, he can't probably, and he's going to sell. So, yeah. God willing. God willing. <laughs> Hopefully, he can't refi. Come on. Rate spike. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why are people buying so actively in like the city market? Do you ever talk to them? Like, why don't you go to Texas, Florida, mm-hmm. whatever, the Midwest? A lot of them are. A lot of them are diversified. But I think the guys that are buying, just they have long-term outlooks. And half those guys believe the pendulum is going to swing back and that the political nature is really going to pivot. So you speak to some of the biggest landlords in the city that own, you know, 5,000 rent-stabilized units. And they're wow. like, you know, the ports are going to change in 20 years. And then my great-grandchildren are going to inherit those. Makes sense. They're so, big already. But they're, they're the big. people that can afford, you know, to hold on to those properties. The bigger people. Very little debt. All cash. You don't really see the syndicators buying a lot of heavily, like, rent-stabilized units. Like, right. Like, it's a business plan. Types. It's a like, vacant building that they like, can turn around. Or, like, 2A, 2B, 70% free market. Like, you're not seeing a lot of those guys raise, like, rent-stabilized capital. I don't mm-hmm. think at least. Right. A couple, but not they're like not. They're not no. like the right. huge. The usual. Well, this guy sells a sick rent stabilized building, right? That <laughs> was a sick units, deal. Yeah, it was. Oh, uh, long ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a crazy deal. Uh, I was going around for like, like ten talking. years. Yeah, I met him and. Uh, so that deal for my old team. Yeah. Wow. Every broker in the city was on the deal, and I just met him, got tacos with him, with my buyer, and. Uh, Got a due diligence period in New York City, which is crazy, and uh, tied up the deal. What did your buyer say about that? Was he surprised he was able to get that due diligence period? Yes, yeah, you never get due diligence periods for buildings in New York. Does he typically get them? Um, out of state, out of state, he does not right. in New York because yeah. you, had, you had like a week or two weeks to do your due diligence, and then right. you got to put down your deposit. What type of commission was on that? That one was a big commission. It was it was a six figure plus commission. Nice, nice, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Remember when you posted on your Instagram story that you would uh, anyone that brings you ten plus units on Long Island, you'll give them a hundred grand. Yeah. So is that, is that still, still the alive? Case? What? Is that still the case? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sure. Yeah, let me build a list. Yeah, you guys bring it. I'll give you a hundred grand. If so you you're taking market it. share from these Long Island brokers, <laughs> I love it. Yep, I'll do it on a handshake. You know, that's why these brokers all trust us. Yeah, I'm almost born in England, so you got British hands here. (laughs) That's my that's my out clause. Sweet talker. No, but seriously, one guy, he got 140,000 on us. Another one made 160,000 on us. Remember? Mm, Yeah. Yeah, they. We have one that's hopefully making 230 grand. Well deserved. And, uh, so if we yeah. do a Murray Hill, you guys are gonna get us like two hundred grand. We just don't know those markets like that. Otherwise, you guys are competitive. the problem yeah. is is what you said before, which is that it's 
there, you need to have very patient capital and a long term, super long term. You seem to have it with your offers. So here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. We have good partners in the boroughs, but the issue yeah. is we can't move as fast, which kills me. We saw that on your terms. Yeah, it hurts me, you know, because I don't. I want to be competitive. Yeah, it hurts you guys. That's why it hurts me, because then it's like you guys are like, oh, so even if it's subconsciously, you're like they're not as serious as maybe X Y Z buyer. It's not subconscious. Sure, it's you. It's not your bread and butter. It's yeah, not, it's not yeah. Long Island uh, industrial or retail or multifamily. Or multifamily, yeah. yeah. In Long Island multifamily, if it's over ten units, everything here is basically free market, except for like one small right. little market in Hempstead. So if you're not in there, we already know the whole market inside and out, yep. and then. If it's, it's over ten, yeah, it's boom. You know, it's a deal. You'll buy it, but in the city, because that's different. that's the issue. Is it's uh, you know, we, we go and buy a building, and next thing you know, we we had assumed that it was all free market, and that it turns out that there's you know twenty thirty percent rent stabilized. Well, in our world. That kill exactly, yeah. and that kills our business plan. So we're gonna go and put five percent earnest money into a deal, tie it up, and the next thing you know, learn that you know our value add is completely gone. Then so we're losing a, money. This is a really important point because. We're working in such a hypersensitive diligence environment that Justin and I, like if we get hired on some on a project, what we're gonna do is we're gonna front the diligence expense costs. So we're gonna hire an attorney for the seller, they're not willing to pay it, and see all the risk up front and then reverse engineer the deal. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's why spend our time working on a deal, spending all this time if the diligence isn't gonna check at the end. I've never you're, heard you're anyone get, do that. Before. You only get paid when the deal Great closes. Idea. You know? Great so, idea. Yeah. That gives you guys a huge edge yeah. with sellers, right? A hundred percent. A lot of people don't want to spend money before they see, you know, a competitive offer. Do right. other brokers do that? Not really. I know there are some that do it occasionally depending on the client. But if you're dealing with mom and pop, like nine out of ten, you have a ton of t- skeletons in the closet. Yeah. Do you guys ever compete with Avison and Young? Of course, yeah. They're How are the they? Top. They're they one of the top the shops. Yeah, They're incredible. They Did you guys know they give a, they give a draw, a $60,000 draw to new hires? And then, really? and then it gets re- replenished by commission. Oh, we didn't know that. We just lost a potential hire to them, oh. like on those terms. Well, maybe wow. I would have quit Exodus if I knew that. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, the split is fifty-fifty, and then that waterfall type of thing, you know, like Marcus and Millichap has. So it makes sense, you know, sure. where they make the money from. But that's like a, a nice risk. It's yeah, like it's five thousand a month. It's security. That's what it is. They built a really strong team incredibly strong and they're very unified I know a lot of the young guys on the team and they have incredible market share so they only take sharks is what you're saying I don't I don't know I don't okay know we don't know yeah we know some of them some of them they're smart they're smart yes and James Nelson has really built a strong brand a podcast right. yeah we yes. actually were just listening to it in the car yeah. really yeah, yeah. 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 I, I see him on oh Shorenstein yeah. yeah oh my god I gotta call him back good guy We he wanted to connect Oh, yeah, yeah. Good Long Island. Yeah, a lot in Long Island. Yeah. yeah. Don't you invest with him on some stuff? No, I yeah. never invested with him. He signed up to our our investment yeah, portal. He signed you up remember? to our investor portal. I showed he you. He signed up to our uh, email campaign, didn't he? Yeah, he's out. He's, yeah, he's, young he's very active. Yeah. yeah. All the guys he works with are great. He's partners yeah. with other guys on the island too. They're all yeah. great guys. Great guys. They're hungry. Yeah. They're hungry. They're great. Part of that young syndicator crew. And they buy good deals. They. See the thing, their edge is like they have that Manhattan money, you know. Yeah. Like they have, they tap into the Manhattan ultra. Actually, yeah. Well, they're class tax class two A two B free market, 
Like that's what they. No, and Long Island. I'm yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. but I'm but saying like they're from, raising from money. From an equity perspective, oh, from their their money comes from you know, oh, oh, people that are a lot more sure. flexible, right? Yeah, it's much harder when you don't have those networks. You know, like sure. for us, that's I mean, Rayback brought more of that in the door. You know, but where I grew up. You know, Eastern Suffolk County, not near the Hamptons, not near like the Jews. Oh, it's like you're like smack dab in the middle. Everybody there is in the union. You know, <laughs> that's that's not there. Nobody there is uh, is investing uh, in real estate. It's yeah. not great or, for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, nobody's accredited. It's not like you have those networks. So right. it's hard. Hence our social media presence. Mm-hmm. That's what gives us our People edge. talk about it. I had a friend from Cushman who reached out and he was like, who is that guy? Like, I listen to his podcast all the time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's credibility. Yeah. I tell people all the time it's worth the 20 plus thousand we spend a month on it because that gives us that network and that credibility. Without it, why would they even speak to us? And you're interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Women in real estate. Yeah. What do you want? You want a listing? <laughs> we want a listing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, so what are you going to hire us on? Huh? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned something to like Matt Clang. I'm like, I maybe I'll sell this in oh, Long Island. Oh, be careful. And he's like, and now he's just not he's like, yeah, analysis, analysis, analysis. I could get you this much more than everybody You're else. You're hiring Marcus and If They're so loyal to me on Long Island that, you know, Cushman's not. Cushman at all is not. And it's pretty upsetting to me. Like, I've known these guys for like five years and they just, I feel like I don't get much respect from them. But other than them, there's like a lot of small shops in Long Island that they know us as the go-to. And we buy everything they send us. They already yeah. know what we want. And we're just like rapid fire. Ch- Shearmonte would select the yeah. Handy Pantry Shopping Center. The small brokers bring you the best deals because a lot of the larger shops, they're just getting listings and they want to put their properties out there. You want the off-market deals from like the smaller broker brings you an opportunity. and. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the best well, relationships a lot of times. Even the big for you. brokers like Marcus, you know, they just know we're real. They like us. They know we we're like, our, we're middle market, right? They're not bringing us the sixty million dollar deals. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, with time. With there time. you go. They brought us a deal that we offered on twenty. Oh, this is sore spot. Yeah. Really, really rough. And we were. Well, this would have been our biggest deal yet. We spent months working on it. Yeah. Everything was looking good. A lot good. of late nights under, underwriting oh, that deal. Three yeah. different scenarios of like what the model looks like without like a pilot, what the model looks like. Right. So what yeah. happened? With we the get pilot. soft commitments. We, everything's good. Yeah, they get undercut. Marcus gets undercut by another brokerage that cold called these sellers. And and unfortunately, they brought somebody in that offered $2 million more than us. Right. But they got undercut. And it was wow. like we were at the, we were there. We were like yeah. two days like away they, from contract. Yeah, we were literally getting the contract out uh, through our attorney. And, and, they, and, and they got them That's good. That's what happens with deals, though. You know how it works. Yeah. And they got them good because if you think about it, they brought in the right buyer at the end of the day. They undercut us because they were going. They took a city buyer that could get a higher yield in Long Island that doesn't know what they're buying. Right. And exactly. they're going to get fucked. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> part of the French, but it's true. They're going to get hurt. We we know this property better than they do, guaranteed. Yeah. And we grew I grew up there. You can't beat that. You know? Yeah, they overpaid. So your can, yeah. These are city people and they, they uh they overpaid. They were buying based off numbers and they weren't thinking about what the overall market looks like for, for that specific thing. So the guy they said I can get the highest price gets the deal though. Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. And we, it's a business. Yeah. yeah. And we wouldn't have been able to compete with them on their numbers. And if they didn't close yet, they're done with the rates. Yeah. They're in trouble. Mm. So we should follow up with them. Deals never die. 
Yeah. Best keep, end. That's, uh, that's our, that's our, that's our, our keep motto. Track it. Deals are like cats. No deals yeah, ever die. Lives. Yeah. I thought it was nine lives. It could be. <laughs> 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 I have 15 at this point. Anyway, what can we do together, guys? What's next for us? Got that $20 million equity check coming, potentially. That's a big one. Yeah, it's nice. That could we be. have to do. We have to. Yeah. That's game changing for all of us. That'll be the huge deal we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifty million dollar plus deal we'll do together. Yeah, industrial. Or we can just diversify that. Yeah, diversify deals, portfolio, so. whatever yeah. we're gonna do. It's but, gotta be something. Yeah. No, there's a lot of opportunities coming. We're talking to so many different people in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and uh, gonna give you guys first crack at the, the we next. We also goal. we also have a national partner. We think we didn't talk about that. We partnered with Fortmath no. and Tremblay, who they're ex Marcus guys. And uh, we're an exclusive partnership with them. So a lot of our like local New York City sellers, like they have a very large national retail and national multifamily presence as well. And they've done about seven billion in deals. Yeah, very That's nice. Over five years. So maybe we'll tap into a new market together. Yeah, that'd be right. a good thing. Be, be, be a couple of sharks in a in a market that is just a bunch of fish. You know. That would yeah, be. Man, a, uh, sometimes I think we should go sell buildings in Idaho. <laughs> These two sharks in St. Louis, it oh would be gosh. scary. Yeah. The thing is, though, really. he wants big deals. Right. You know. I'm over big, big deals. deals. Yeah. I've only done big deals. Yeah. <laughs> Justin keeps saying he's like, I don't want small deals. Not interested. Yeah. And big Haley, deals. Haley like humbles him a little bit. He's like, <laughs> let's just do deals. <laughs> I'm like, let's just refocus. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yes. it was great having you guys. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having See us. You guys Chris, you're great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> great to, we're going to shake formally out here? Yeah. I'll give you a hug after. Oh, Chris? thank you. All right. All right. Bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs>